are you quite comfortable? <laughs> I feel like you're Mary Poppins in this image. Are you quite finished? Or what is that from? It's Mary Poppins. Oh, it's in the scene in Spoonful of Sugar when, like, the bedroom, like, comes to life and is, like, doing crazy stuff. And she's like, all right, stop. Yeah. <laughs> I love Mary Poppins. Classic film. It's an amazing movie. So good. Anyway, <laughs> welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. <laughs> I'm Sarah. <sighs> Am I Jane? I don't know. I'm having a crisis. No, I'm uh, kidding. No, I'm Jane no, 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 no. We don't have time for an existential <laughs> crisis. It's Thursday night and it's almost 10 o'clock and we just started. Because um, I'm traveling. Yeah. Or I will have traveled by the time this comes out. I will be back in New York. She's going to Florida. Yeah, I'm going to Florida to get some sun. Uh. All right. <laughs> How are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. I oh. <laughs> I'm alive. Uh... <laughs> Honestly, that counts for a lot. I just had a very stressful day, and a lot of it was set in motion by the disappearance of a four-year-old's um, comfort blanket named Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Dennis is okay. I hope they recover him soon for I, Jane's sanity. Alone. I think she left it at home, and it should return. But wow, Dennis, we miss you, man. Come back. <laughs> Come back. You Honestly, messed one, up my day. One angry four-year-old and one like sad four-year-old can really it can really take you down real it fast. just like not only was she so upset about it but like the series of events that it set in motion sent my day into chaos and i was like wow i didn't realize that dennis was the glue holding everything together <laughs> truly <laughs> truly oh and so i just had such a like high anxiety level day and i didn't really eat at barely at all all i've really had to eat did you have like, dinner no. Oh my gosh. Uh, nor did I have No, lunch I'm normally a better care for her. Jane. No wonder your <laughs> stomach hurts. It's hungry. But it doesn't want anything. I don't you know. gotta eat. Hold on, I have some gummy bears. <laughs> Where are they? So I'm just like, ugh. Alright. I'm gonna get Jane's snack situated while I'll talk about how long. Okay, how, how are doing. you, Sarah? Um, hold on, let me open your fruit snacks for you. Oh no. This is embarrassing. No, I'm gonna do it. Here Say the magic word. No, my whole job is opening snacks for kids, and now I Me can't too. do it in front of them by profile. Okay. It's very stale. I'm grateful though. <laughs> <laughs> the face you just made. <laughs> At school, when, uh, we always have two options for snack. And at school, when we run out of one option, if today a kid didn't want the second option, but I had given it to her, and she and I walked away, and I was like, I'm sorry, I don't have any more. She wanted sun chips. I was like, I didn't have any more sun chips. Here's some pretzels. And I walked away. And then later, she tried to come up to me and say a lie and tell me that she didn't get a snack. I was like, no, you, I did give you a snack. What did you do with the pretzels? And she goes, I don't know. I was like, what do you mean you don't know? She goes, well, I didn't want them. And I was like, so you just pushed them away? I got so mad. That's not how you explain to me that you don't want something. Like, that's just being ungrateful. Mm-hmm. Um, so the face you just made at me with those, I was like, no, no, no. I'm not having this conversation with you. My favorite is when kids, um, particularly on days that they, like, eat smart food or you some form of, things. like, something crummy, and then they come up to you with the audacity to be like, I didn't get snacked. I'm like... Then what's all over your face? <laughs> <laughs> oh, those are much more stale than ones I've had from that same box. Yeah, like today. See, I'm not being ungrateful. I'm just. Well, let's open a second bag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
these are less stale. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, I'm good. <laughs> Guess what? What? My hair's blue. Oh, I knew that. You guys didn't, though. Listeners didn't. Yeah, I'm revealing the information. It's my, exciting. My hair is blue. Kelsey did a really nice job. She, she did, did it herself. I've gotten a lot of people that asked me if I did it, if it was done in the salon, and I said no. No. I'm which is a high compliment. So. She, lo- she looks like a mermaid. Woo! It's 10 o'clock, so should we get started? Mm-hmm. Love that. All right, let's get into lipstick. Okay, so. Should I go put some on? No, it's too late. No, it's, it's late. 10 p.m. <laughs> Do you want to have to wipe it off before you go to bed? I mean, I always have to wipe off lips. Like, you got to wash your face. I know, but like. All right, whatever. Anyway. <sighs> Okay, so red lipstick, uh, or lipstick in general, can be traced all the way back to ancient Sumeria, the Sumerian region of southern Mesopotamia, circa 3500 BCE. Oh. I know that's so long ago. That's a really long time ago. It's a very long time. And they would use red rocks and even some gemstones crushed into a powder that they would use to tint their lips red now my question is i feel like that's the thing i feel like i should have heard of like i feel like given the current obsession with like crystals and astrology and Mm -hmm. things like that you'd think you'd hear of like lipsticks that had like crystals crushed into them They'd be very expensive. Okay, I'm but having I'm su- deja vu, but I don't think it's deja vu. I think we had this exact same conversation when About we covered eyeshadow. eyeshadow. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I was like, we've talked about this. I don't know. I don't remember that, but I also, every time I listen to an episode of our podcast, I have no memory of saying any of the things I say. I'm really, <laughs> like, I will frequently, I today was listening to the our podcast on the subway and laughing at a conversation we had because I had no memory of it. And you I, find us funny? I do. I'm good. And I'll even hear myself say facts and I'll be like, oh, that's interesting. Cool. Um, we're going to move along to ancient Egypt where they created a paste using crushed up insects. Yeah. To paint their lips all I mean, sorts of colors. That's where purple dye comes from. It's come from a spot. It comes from bugs. Honestly, isn't it like you eat like you accidentally eat like eight insect legs a year or something like ew, that? Ew, 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 ew. Did you know every fig contains a bee? Every fig? Yeah. What? It's figs and dates. Every single one of them has a bee trapped inside. What? And it's like it's just liquefied. Ew. Isn't that gross? Aw, poor bee. Um Oh my god. I noticed also in our most recent podcast that my new um is me going and <laughs> I just say the word and super long and drawn out while I'm finding my thought process. Anyway, I also say anyway so much. Cleopatra was very famous for wearing a red shade of this oh, lipstick. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she would wear a lipstick. I've never and, watched Antony and Cleopatra. Mm, well, <laughs> Uh. well uh <laughs> oh my god get ready because i think you just looked at my next fact and you're i didn't i didn't it. i didn't oh no, i was saying oh my god because you kept going and um anyway <laughs> so <laughs> i'm gonna kill you i edit this <laughs> Well, we're talking about how gross it is that we cr- they used to crush up bugs to make lipstick. Yeah. Well, it, um, they had. 
<laughs> we'll never escape this prison. How do you think I feel? <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. Okay. Oh my, we can do it. We got it. We got it. Okay. okay. Well, it gets even grosser from there because okay. not only did they use crushed up bugs to make lipstick, but in order to create variety of hue, texture, and finish, oh, no. they would use other ingredients found in nature, including fish scales and... <laughs> Sarah is horrified. I knew that would send her for a loop. And other things just found in nature, made from like fish and fish eggs. I'm gonna vomit. This sounds terrible. I'm so sorry. That's so gross. And the thing I mean, you... I take fish oil vitamins, but it feels different. <laughs> but the thing about these lipsticks is that not only were they made of gross things and they probably tasted disgusting, but they were literally toxic. Like, the things they used to make lipstick out of might kill you. Beauty, <laughs> Beauty kills. Beauty hurts. <laughs> Throughout so much of history, like a large, overwhelming majority of the history of lipstick or lip color being worn, it was literally made from toxic ingredients. Oh my god. Women go through so much. <laughs> Not that men can't wear lipstick too. I agree. There like, I think anyone can where, wear it. Where men wore makeup. Yeah, but we're going to talk a lot about how it's literally something that's meant to signify femininity. And not that men can't be feminine. Just that I feel like we do need to acknowledge that this is a thing that holds a lot more significance for female identifying people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it should. everybody should be able to use it and rock it and do whatever they want. But it literally is used to control women, so that's... Oh, whoops. <laughs> I wear lipstick every day. No, 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 no. Like, I feel like the way it's currently used is more celebratory mm-hmm. than it used... And it always was. It's just, it's, I think it's judged very much, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? We'll get into it. Throughout time, lipstick has been a social signif- signifier that literally changed constantly depending on the decade century region wherever you were it had so many different meanings and it changed a lot it could be used to attract sexual attention Mm -hmm. to proclaim your social status to perform wealth Mm -hmm. in some instances it could even be i did not understand this sentence on um the article I was reading, but in some instances, it could even be an admission of wickedness, vanity, or failing morality. Like, I don't understand how someone's like, you know what? I'm going to tell the world that I have failing morality. Let's put on some <laughs> lipstick. <laughs> Maybe it was meant to be like, you know, you know, there's always those people that like want to not be social, you know? They're like, look at me, I'm bad. Uh, anyway, more uses of lipstick were to display confidence and literally it all depended on the social conventions of the era that you were living in. Okay. For instance, at one point in Roman history, it was fashionable for men to wear lip color. Yeah. And to give mm-hmm. a further example of how the time that you were living in literally depended on what people thought of you. At one point in ancient Greek history, wearing lip color was an indication that you were a prostitute or a courtesan. But then very shortly after, it was an indicator that you were a high class woman. Oh. So it... The way you are thought of, mm-hmm. just for your makeup use, like, could just depend on, like, a couple years. It's not at all, like, I want to look like this or anything. Like, yeah. It's literally, like, uses, Things change yeah. fast. That's exactly my point. The Chinese were the first to make lipsticks mm-hmm. uh, that were made from beeswax. And it 
really wasn't a fashion thing. They were mostly for protection of your lips. So it was essentially chapstick. Thank you for chapstick. <laughs> yeah, thank you for chapstick. Uh, during the Tang Dynasty, I thought this was interesting. They didn't add color to this essential chapstick, but they added scented oils. Literally, so people would be like, oh, your mouth smells nice. Oh, sexy. <laughs> to, like, allure people to their When I made my mouths. lipstick on Sunday, we could add a scent to it. Mine's wild berry. Mm. Yeah. In Australia, Aboriginal girls uh, paint their mouths red with okra for a puberty ritual. Mm-hmm. In still uh, to this day, um, I think it's an ancient practice. Okay, so I wouldn't be shocked if like some groups still did it. Mm-hmm. But I'm mostly talking about like you know back when before colonization. Before colonization, yeah, correct. Uh, let's talk about England for a little bit. Love that. Yeah. Lip coloring gained popularity there in the 16th century and was really popularized by Queen Elizabeth I. Mm. Her whole, you know, stark white face paint, bright red lips, yeah. that look, uh, she really made that. Is Alice in Wonderland supposed to be inspired? Like, the Queen um, of Hearts? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, my God. I just put that together. Continue. Okay. So, in this Elizabethan era, lipstick uh, was made... From a blend of beeswax and red stain from plants. Mm -hmm. And at the time, only upper class women and male actors were not Uh, allowed to wear makeup, but like it was socially acceptable for them. Right. For other people, they were, you'd get judged. And that is really a huge factor of all this. Like whether you wore or did not wear lipstick, it like just, you'd face harsh judgment, which is so dumb. Throughout most of the 19th century in England, skipping ahead a couple hundred years the (laughs) (laughs) obvious use of cosmetics was not something that was considered um respectable for women to participate in Mm -hmm. now when i say the obvious use of cosmetics that's not to say that people weren't wearing them but it was just like you know natural looks yeah i feel like that's something that shocks a lot of men would be like i look i like a natural look i don't like women who wear makeup but then like there's so many women that you probably don't think wear makeup that are wearing, like, foundation or blush. Yeah, or, like, there are days when I, like, really do my eyeshadow and a contour and a highlight and yeah. all the whole shebang. And I come into school and my students are like, you're wearing makeup. But I do my makeup yeah. every single day. Like, there's not a day that yeah. I don't go out without foundation and concealer on. Yeah. So, it is true that most most people who don't wear makeup probably don't realize what a natural look really is yeah. for most people. <laughs> Exactly. In this time in the 19th century, only actors and prostitutes were the people who had obvious makeup looks. Mm-hmm. It looked that you could tell, like, oh, they're wearing makeup. In the 1850s, there were many published reports warning women that they shouldn't wear makeup because it contained lead and toxic oh. vermilion, which was true. That's not saying that it <laughs> kept it people did. from wearing it. But yeah. again, there was like <laughs> up until like the early 1900s, a majority of makeup products were made from toxic things. Oh like my gosh. it was a problem. You fools, you absolute fools. Yeah. The first commercially sold lipstick was invented by perfumers in Paris in mm-hmm. 1884. And uh, they made it from deer tallow, which I'm going to be honest, I forgot to look up what that is. Um, deer what? Deer tallow? Is that like bone marrow? Except I hope for not. That? <laughs> it's Ew. the fat. Oh, that's gross. It's the rendered form of beef or mutton fat. Ew. That's yucky. <laughs> that's disgusting. So deer tallow, yuck. 
Castor oil and beeswax is what this commercially sold lipstick was made from. Prior to this time, if you wore lipstick, you made it at home yourself. From That's like, a lot of work. I know. Can you imagine if you had to make all your own makeup? <sighs> no, then the people at the Bite Lip Lab made it look so easy. <laughs> this sounds like well, an they app have like not... machines and things. And yeah, it was just like a bunch of melted. It's stuff. their job. Like they're not at home. And then like all this stuff was already made. They just scraped yeah. off a certain amount of a color and put it yeah. in a jar. They, yeah, exactly. <laughs> The 1920s were really the first time that it was considered socially acceptable for women to wear makeup, obviously. like for you, it, Did that start with the flappers? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I guess I, in my head, flappers is such an American thing, and I'm still kind of talking about um, England at the mm. moment. But mm. yeah, they had flappers too, didn't they? <laughs> they did. No. <laughs> they did. They did. I've seen Downton Abbey. Man, I'm trying to, I'm like, because when you think of the 1920s, I definitely think of like the smoke, the emergence of the smoky eye makeup, red lipstick. Yeah. I've been in a lot of shows set in the 1920s, so. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in the 20s, it was very popular for, I mean, for women in the U.S., definitely. When I was in um, Thoroughly Modern Millie, I was Miss Dorothy, and Mm -hmm. the whole, like, our show's personal concept of Dorothy is that... Millie is this modern woman who is a flapper and has smoky eyes and wears red lipstick. And um, when we were talking about the costume and makeup, hair and makeup people, for me, they were like, it's really important to portray Dorothy as like the past trend, mm. which was like, like natural yeah. makeup, longer skirts, all of yeah. that. So a lot, I remember learning a bit from that experience. Yeah. So talking a little bit about... <laughs> I realize that, like, sometimes, like, you'll get talking about that, and I don't know how to transition back into my own notes. So I'll just, like, pause and then just be like, anyway, and continue, and there's no good transition. I'm just like, yeah, so anyway, thanks. Um, Thank you, Sarah. Moving on. uh, In the 19th century in the U.S., lipstick was made from this thing called carmine dye, and that is (laughs) extracted from insects. Um, called cochineals, which um, live on cactus plants in Mexico and Central America. Do you do you want to know how I know this? What do you? How do you know that? Because at Muhlenberg, I took a class called creative chemistry, and we made dyes out of the freaking bugs. They yeah. brought the bugs. Out. I did. They were like, you can make a purple dye out of bugs or a yellow dye out of stones. And I was like, I vote stones. I'm doing the <laughs> stones. stones. I'm doing the stones. <laughs> Give me the stones. <laughs> but some people made it out of bugs. It was really gross. Yeah. They're little. They look like stink yeah. bugs. And at this carmine dye that they would make use from the bugs was not in really stick format. You'd get it in like a jar or wrapped in paper and you would use a brush to apply it to your lips. Mm. Now this dye was can, was super expensive. Yeah. And people thought it looked really unnatural on your lips. So it was really... <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> so it was really frowned upon for Condensed like everyday wear. Um, <laughs> and it was something that only like actors and actresses used. Okay. Now the famous actress Sarah Bernhardt mm. was considered kind of like a, an out-of-the-box thinker. What What's the term I'm looking for? Um, yeah... Like she was like out there because she because she was known adventurous. Maybe she was known to wear lipstick and rouge in public, and she was even seen applying it in public, which What's was word? like never done. You only put on your own. You only applied the carmine dye to your lips when you were at home. Mm. 
which is just kind of a social thing like it like it draws the curtain like oh look at me i'm putting on makeup it's not like i woke up with this super unnatural dye right. on my lips right in the 1890s women began mixing this carmine dye with oil and wax which made it look much better yeah on your lips <laughs> it was like okay now it looks like lipstick and it was that made it a, lo- a little more acceptable and you could buy it in paper tubes and small pots and again you would you were still painting it on it still wasn't like a lipstick although lipsticks existed but it took a while for us to get like the, the mechanism yeah, yeah, yeah. that we had uh in 18 in the 1890s sears roebuck started selling rouge for lips and cheeks in their catalog um we're going to get into the mechanisms a little bit. In 1911, European women started buying lipsticks in metal tubes, but those were like um, open on both sides and you would push up. The... Oh, like a push pop. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you would like push it up mm-hmm. in, in that way. Mm-hmm. In 1912, um, <laughs> there people were still talking about how you shouldn't wear <laughs> lipstick. <laughs> Um, one because people would judge you. <laughs> Two because it was literally poison. Still, like, still. how were people not dying? I don't understand. I feel like if it was the 1920s, if Twitter existed in the 1920s, people on Twitter would be like, "You are literally eating poison." <laughs> um, in 19, 19- it's like that tweet of Louis Tomlinson's when all the One Directioners gathered outside their hotel in like a pit of snakes. <laughs> I think that was Harry Styles. No, 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 no. It was it was it was Liam. It was Liam. I think. And he was like, "What are you doing? Go home. There are snakes." <laughs> That's me with this poison. <laughs> um, in 1915, this guy named Maurice Levy, or Levi maybe Levy, invented cylindrical metal containers that had this little tiny lever on them that you'd press with the edge of your fingernail. And that would move the lipstick up. That I'm, sounds really hard. I know. You'd, like, have to have enough nails. It wasn't until 1923 that James Bruce Mason Jr. in Nashville, Tennessee, patented the swivel-up lipstick tube that we use today. So it's been around almost 100 years. Yes. And I do find it interesting that both of the, like, the swivel-up tube that we know today and even the, like press tube that we were talking about before were both invented by men and I think mm. that's just because women were not allowed in the sciences and yeah. in inventing and circles and engineering yeah. yeah as photography grew um, in use and popularity women started wearing lipstick when they would get their portraits taken or just when they were mm-hmm. when they knew their photograph was going to be taken and that made it more of a regularly seen popularized thing mm-hmm. it's slowly and slowly going to grow and accept Stability. Acceptance. Acceptance, yeah. Elizabeth Arden and Estee Lauder both began selling lipsticks in their salons. Ah, uh, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> Except that wasn't Estee Lauder. No. During World War II, it sort of like hurt lipstick, but also helped lipstick, and we'll get to why. Less women were wearing it, mostly because you just couldn't get the ingredients. Because mm-hmm. at the time, it was made from many things, but the essential, some essential ingredients are petroleum and castor oil, and those <laughs> petroleum. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, probably you know, like petroleum jelly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're picturing like oil. Yeah. Uh, there was a scarcity of those two ingredients, so you literally, it was probably really expensive if you could find it. So, less women were wearing it, but at the same time, 
for the first time, women were allowed to work in engineering and scientific research. Because mm-hmm. all the men, you know, were off fighting the war. Yep. Kept so this woman, in the workplace. <laughs> so this awesome woman named Hazel Bishop became an organic chemist, and she invented the first long-lasting lipstick called No Smear Lipstick. Mm. And I'm going to talk about her a little more in a little bit. Okay. Um, I love organic chemistry. It's so interesting. Yeah. Um, in the ninth. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the interruption. <laughs> yeah. We all like organic chemistry. So. Um, I think we all like <laughs> organic chemistry. Uh, I love Victoria Justice. <laughs> um, jumping forward and just like talking about the science of lipstick. It wasn't until the 1990s that this company called Lip Inc. invented a semi-permanent liquid lip stain. That was really the first time that a different like type of lipstick was used Mm -hmm. and now let's get into like the history of like the trends Mm -hmm. i'm mostly talking about western traditions i'm sure it's very different Mm -hmm. in other cultures but throughout the 20th century lipstick could really only be made in a certain number of shades red is just an easier shade to make right only a certain number of bugs (laughs) exactly (laughs) oh ew now i'm like it's blood dark red lipstick throughout its guts (laughs) Sorry, that wasn't better. Shush. I'm sorry. I'm mad at you now. I'm, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, we're going to kind of see that dark red lipstick, it, it will like ebb and flow in its popularity, but mm-hmm. it's considered the most popular shade. Okay. Especially in the 1920s. Flappers wore it to symbolize their independence. You go, girl. I don't know. Just like make bold choices, you know? Mm-hmm. In the 1930s, different colors were like added into the mix but red was still the most popular yes uh in the 30s it was seen as a symbol of adult sexuality Uh. and yeah and teen teenagers started to wear it to be like look at me i'm a woman and adults were like we don't like that which i wouldn't either (laughs) um i mean i don't care if teens wear red lipstick but the fact that it was like literally agreed on or agreed upon by the whole culture that like red lipstick means you're sexually active and a bunch of like 13 year olds oh, were like yeah. look at my lips like i'd be like get out of here um <laughs> please, no, please don't but adults thought it was an act of rebellion in 1937 there was even a survey that 50 percent of teenage girls said that they frequently fought with their parents over their use of lipstick oh wow uh, that's a lot i know so teenagers were trying to i think just show their maturity and adults were like, stop that. Stop wearing a thing that literally reads to the rest of the world, I'm having sex. Which is not what it means. It's just goo you put on your lips. Anyway, in the 1940s, um, it was stressed in magazines and books that men prefer a natural look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just wait until we get to my segment, Jane. Oh, no. And again, this like whole thought process of if you were... Lipstick, you were literally a slut. And I do think that comes from the time period where literally the only people who were, who wore it were prostitutes. Right. So I think that's where that thinking originally comes from. Yeah. It wasn't until the late 1950s when actresses such as Elizabeth Taylor and, shout out to last week, Marilyn Monroe, oh. helped to bring the red lip look back into popular fashion. And the lady we were talking about before, Hazel Bishop, founded a company in 1950. Um, an advertiser named Raymond Spector helped her launch her own business. It really took off. It was thriving. And she had an ad slogan for this kiss-proof lipstick that she invented that said, stays on you, not on him. Ooh. And people were actually, like, cool with that. 
Oh. Like, you'd think that'd be a huge scandal, but it was, like, people were like, oh, yeah, nice. Good for you. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good for you, Hazel. And uh, just like Hazel, a lot of lipstick companies took off in the 50s. In the 60s, the attitude towards lipstick kind of shifted in that you weren't considered slutty if you wore lipstick at all, but you were considered slutty if you wore red lipstick. But if you wore a different shade like pink, that was seen as more pure and feminine. And during this time, like, it, lipstick was literally tied to femininity and you were told that you weren't a woman if you wore it or Jeez. it was assumed that you were a lesbian if you didn't wear lipstick. And oh, This is so confusing. I know. No, it's it's ridiculous. The term lipstick lesbian is... <laughs> is in reference to this time. Uh-huh. But that term was used in, our, in an article pretty recently. Like, I feel like it was, it, it was around the time that the L word was on TV. Okay. They are talking about that. And then it really became a popular term on that show. And it, it's, it literally just means like a femme lesbian. Like if you're a lesbian, but you're not considered like quote unquote butch. Yeah. You were called a lipstick lesbian because like you were a lesbian, but you still. Yeah presented femininely yes that was popularized by the tell that term really took off in the tv show the l word which i think just came back didn't it on yeah it's now been renewed it's like it's a reboot yeah some rock groups like the the ronettes and the shirelles which were famous in the 60s they popularized white lipstick or nearly white lipstick oh i know and (laughs) some girls started wearing under eye concealer on their lips to like imitate that oh i would not find that comfortable i guess it would feel okay but i just feel like on me it would just make me look kind of like washed out yeah that's the whole thing like i don't see anyone actually saying this but i personally think like red lips like yes it's the easiest to make because of the ingredients that we just have Mm -hmm. but also i think it just accentuates what your face kind of does naturally just like you were kind of on the pink tones anyway yeah and i think especially for actors when you're super far away and you can't make out facial features it's to like exaggerate your yeah. lips and to literally show where your mouth is yeah like that's the same deal when you're putting on a lot of makeup on your face like you literally want to show where your lips are yeah so that's why like pink and red tones i feel like are the most popular in the 70s more unusual colored lipsticks became popular like lime green light blue even silver i can't even I feel like I have, I'm having trouble putting together a mental image of that, but I believe you. Silver lipstick? I've seen it. Not silver lipstick, but like lime green, I feel like I'd be like, okay, like that in my mind is like... I can picture it. A very specific, like almost like a very neon, like it's a music video look. Like I feel like yeah. I've never seen someone in real life wearing it, but I'm sure they did. I'm sure it was cool. I could get behind it. I love some makeup experimentation. Yeah. In the late 1970s through the late 1990s, or through the 90s, black lipstick took off, especially in punk and goth subcultures. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. And in the 80s, a lot of, like, I put, I wrote it as trendy gimmick lipsticks. There was a lot of, like, color-changing lipstick or lipsticks that worked like mood rings and would, like, react to your body temperature. Yeah, 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 yeah glosses and like different things like that which my brain goes to Claire's when I hear things like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Good old yeah, Those things were happening but that began in the 80s. Uh, in the 90s mattes and brown tones became super popular and in the 2010s uh, bright bold lip colors became trendy again specifically red. My brain goes literally to Taylor Swift. Yeah. 
when I think of that. She wore a lot of red lipstick she in did. The, her middle album era. Eras. Yeah. And around 2014 and 2015, nude shades became popular, mm-hmm. which I think they were already in the 90s, but like... New, yeah, more, yeah, nude lipsticks are really big right now. Yeah. And then in 2015 and 2016, brands like Anastasia Beverly Hills, Sephora, Huda Beauty, Kylie Cosmetics, and NYX Cosmetics uh, popularized lipsticks that you would apply like a gloss, but then would dry to become like a matte. Yeah, I have those. Yeah, I have those too. I'm still not great at the Nick. The one NYX ones that we got that I have like in crazy colors, they always dry. I need to get better at figuring out how to apply them in a way that doesn't make you my lips do like a scrub. pucker. You should do a scrub first, smooth out your lips. Mm. Do a mask. Yeah, it gets very like wrinkly. Maybe if I put on like a chapstick right before... But then I feel like when I do that, it doesn't stay on. Yeah, no, you need to get, you need to get a lip scrub. You gotta scrub, <laughs> and then you gotta do a mask, which smooths it out. Every time I put on lipstick, though, I gotta do all that. When you do those lipsticks, <laughs> I want to wear more often. No, for like, what, like, what's the day? When yeah, you do it like for that day. You gotta do it if you're gonna wear that lipstick. Yeah. Did you hear about what happened with um, Nikki? tutorials on youtube this past week besides them coming out as trans yes yes oh well anyway <laughs> I, I'm, I support her love her yeah very proud of her for being very brave and i'm glad she stuck it to those blackmailers yeah same i i, I watched that video on the bus mode of work yesterday and i was like about to cry i was like she's so cool and brave i love her yeah she's very cool i thought you were gonna say that she like came out with a lot of lipsticks and i was like cool no they're just like talking about makeup made me think of that like just yeah, now yeah um anyway so that's really all i have on lipstick that's great that was bringing us to the modern day i like lipstick awesome. i, I like feel lipstick. like i like to play more with like eyeshadows mm-hmm. and i've always like, like i've wanted to play more with lipsticks in college, I remember, like, trying, like, a black lipstick, and I came out, and I asked my roommate if I pulled it off, and he said no, and I was like, ah, Simone, if you're listening to this, how dare you? He was like, it's just not really, like, your vibe, and I was like, oh, I want it to be. I know, I want to be so much more goth than I, I am. I know, me too. I'm, like, a sunshine person. I do think, like, certain shades of red look better on me than others. Like, I, I lean more towards, like, the cranberries and the maroons mm-hmm. than the, like, bright scarlets yeah. or the... I have one red that's like a really true red lipstick, and I love mm. it. But I, the problem with wearing red lipstick, the problem with wearing bold colors, which is why I stick to nudes for every day, is that Sarah loves nudes. I love nudes. Don't send her any. <laughs> no, don't send. No, that literally don't. I'm not making a joke. Like that's yeah, gross. <laughs> no, please no. Um, Unless you're no. dating her and she asks you to. <laughs> Anyway. I'm sorry. You can reason, delete all of this. <laughs> the reason that I like nudes as opposed to bright colors is literally just like for the functions of eating and drinking things. Like it just wears away and you keep reapplying it. So you have to have one that you trust is like long wear. Yeah. Like it's such a, it's such a hassle. Oh, one interesting thing that I re- was reading about in my research for this that I totally forgot to talk about was that as lipstick became more popular, it added this whole new element to crime solving oh because like now you could trace lipsticks to specific people like a sp- like it's different now i feel like now that a lot more people buy the same ones but like yeah. it used to be a homemade thing you could <gasps> track so it to true. specific people 
And we don't think about it as like you see lipstick somewhere like that indicates that DNA is somewhere very specific. Yeah. Like your lips were literally there. There's all these um, phrases in our vernacular now, like putting lipstick on a pig is one that I don't love. Lipstick on the collar literally means is like um, a phrase that means like having an affair. Yeah. Uh, like there's all these things in our That's culture true. that come from lipstick that we don't even think about. It's very interesting. It's very true. Moving on in our day, <laughs> this is this is technically Jay. This is technically my Reddit segment, but Sarah found this while I was looking for one, and it's just, it's so f- like upsetting, uh, simultaneously but like, upsetting, but also funny at the same time. It's so upsetting that you have to read it and laugh. So today today is Thursday, January 16th. This will not come out we- until Wednesday the 22nd. So yes, we realize this might be old news to you by now, but on today, January 16th, Donald Trump tweeted, I just got in all caps, I just got impeached for making a perfect phone call. Now, I want to point out that there are multiple ways to read this. Yeah. <laughs> you can read it as I just got impeached. Which he didn't. That was weeks ago. Call, which it's been almost a month. Or I just got impeached for making a perfect phone call. There are two ways to read it. I read it, <laughs> I read it as the second, but clearly some people disagree. Obviously, everything he does is upsetting for many reasons. But yeah. like, this is so frustrating because clearly, like, he's not taking the situation seriously, which, like, did we really expect him to? Like, this whole. The idea that, like, he won't be convicted and he won't be removed is ridiculous to me. But the only way I can keep from crying about how desperate it all seems is to read the idiotic comments (laughs) to some of these tweets. Now, I recently read this really interesting post that's, like, like, Trump supporters were trying to backlash being, like, all the Democrats think we're stupid because we like Trump. And it was this response being, like, I don't think you're stupid because... Because you like Trump, but you voted for him even though X, Y, Z. You voted for him even though he openly yeah. made fun of homeless people. Whatever. Well, all these things. And then at the end, it's like, so you better be glad that we're calling you stupid instead of calling you a slew of other yeah. derogatory names. <laughs> Which is like, I was like, yes. So, uh, like, There's just so many things he's done that I just don't know how you can excuse. It's true. So I'm going to call these people... I'm going to call some of these people stupid. And I tell my students not to use this word, but we can, we'll can we save it for this occasion. Yeah. Because I want to read you this tweet. This is a direct reply to the tweet. Well, they tried to impeach Ben Franklin when he was president for inventing electricity. They'll stoop to anything. Still, America is the oldest and greatest country ever. <laughs> well, we don't have time to unpack all, all of that. that. Just kidding, we do. One, Ben Franklin was not president. <laughs> Two, America's not the oldest country. Three, arguably not the greatest country. There's so much you could talk about. It's so oh Also, my- I'm pretty sure he, did he actually invent electricity? I feel like he didn't. I don't think, I don't think he was the primary inventor, no. No, he worked with it. Yeah, but, but, but- he didn't invent <laughs> Also, when you read it this time, like, when you read it earlier, I read it as, like, they tried to impeach him for inventing electricity, which, first of all, why would someone impeach someone for inventing something? (laughs) But this time you read it, and I heard it as he was made president for inventing electricity. (laughs) That's true. Again, two ways to read it. Because the phrase is, when he was president for inventing electricity. So it's true. Either he was impeached for inventing electricity or he became president. 
because of it. Neither the, of which is true. The replies to that tweet in particular are also rich. <laughs> They're so funny. So someone, one of the big things that have come up in the impeachment trials is that he's saying that he doesn't know President Zelensky. Is that how you say it? Yeah. And he just keeps saying, I don't know these people, I don't know these people, I don't know these people. So one person tweeted at Trump pictures of him with all of these people that he doesn't claim to know. And one Trump supporter replied, I have a total of 24 different photos of me with Bo Jackson. He doesn't know who I am. I get a Christmas card from him every year. He doesn't know who I am. Celebrities meet too many people to really know one one hundredth of them. It's like, I feel like this man just came here to brag about his non-relationship with Bo Jackson. Who's Bo Jackson? Jackson. I don't know. Someone, someone replied to his tweet. I'm assuming the it's it's referring to is the impeachment hearing. It's so boring, though. No one cares. Did you see Jeopardy? None of the very smart contestants knew who Adam Schiff was. <laughs> as if he's comparing his impeachment trial is daytime television. <laughs> like, oh, well, it's good, but nowhere near as good as Jeopardy. Like, what? I think the point he's trying to make there is, like, that if anyone was actually, like, like just that literally the trial isn't entertaining television and the fact that no one's actually watching, like, right. like the C-SPAN trial. Right. And... <laughs> Because C-SPAN's kind of hard to watch, and government proceedings are not the most thrilling thing. So, like, if you're literally watching every second, it's gonna not be, like, a thrill a second. Because it takes longer in real life to do things. Is that true that none of the Jeopardy contestants knew who Adam Schiff was? Yeah, apparently. (laughs) Well, then maybe because they're too busy studying for Jeopardy and not paying attention to the The impeachment trial. There was a Broadway category in the last one, and a lot of them didn't know the answers to the Broadway questions. And Uh. Broadway people felt high and mighty. (laughs) Just sometimes people say the dumbest things on Twitter. It's true. It just, it was serendipity that I clicked on the tweet because I was just like, oh God, like I was talking to Jamie like, oh God, Trump tweeted this today, yada, yada. And I clicked on it. And that, that's like the third reply. The Ben Franklin one. I was like, this is rich. Oh, this is rich. People invent history that just doesn't exist. Like he says it like with sex. I don't think that's a sarcastic reply. Like, I don't think it's someone being like, yeah, you and Ben Franklin. Like, I don't think... Like, I really think that guy thinks Ben Franklin was a president. Which, like, maybe so do my second graders, but they're seven. I had a group of kids today tell me, we hate Trump, he's bad, he locks kids in cages. And I was like, you're right. Imagine being a child. I had a kid today telling me that she was afraid that. that she had a nightmare. And I said, what was it? What was your nightmare? She said, I had a nightmare. I got locked in a cage. And I was like, girl, yo, that's real. Like, I mean, I used to have nightmares of getting put in a duffel bag. Right. But, but <laughs> the president wasn't putting babies in, in duffel, duffel bags. bags. Bill Clinton, as far as we know, <laughs> and George Bush, as far as we know, put zero kids in duffel bags. 
but Trump did indeed put children in cages. That's all, that's all I really wanted to say about that. Um, I mean, don't get on Twitter because it's a terrible place, but I have to fly tomorrow and I haven't packed yet. Okay, so here we go. You asked me if advertising companies purposefully make sexist ads in order to sell things, and the answer is yes and no. Mm. Um, as we become more progressive and more open-minded, do sexist ads make us want to buy products? No. The problem is that the sexism that lives is that the problem is that the sexism lives in the advertising industry. Mm-hmm. I had to read too many stories about the terrible comments women have heard from ad execs and their own companies. I did not watch Mad Men, but several articles <laughs> say it's not far off from the truth. Mm. Um, one female ad executive said, quote, when a guy walks into a room and owns it and takes control, he's a leader. When a woman does it, she still gets, wow, she's self-absorbed and aggressive. She must be going through menopause. While women do make up of do make up half of the workforce at ad agencies, it's no surprise that men make up the majority of upper management and executive leadership. Mm. In 2018, an ad age article cited only one in three women work at ad agency. One in three women who work at ad agencies as believing they make the same wage as their male counterparts. The gender pay gap in marketing exceeds the average across other industries, according to Glassdoor. Jane rolls eyes vehemently. Oh, yeah, sometimes I forget that we have to, like, vocally do I narrate you. Um, this is true across America and foreign ad companies, so it's not just an American problem. Um, it's a notable issue in the UK where only 12% of executives in advertising are female. Uh, I, um, knew, I knew when I gave you this topic. I said last <laughs> week, I'm going to be furious the whole time I listen to you, but here we go. I would also like to note that as of 2015, only 5.3% of employees in advertising were black and 117 were Hispanic. Mm-hmm. Which there, there is a noticeable lack of diversity, racial diversity yeah. in advertising as well. In 2016, there were several scandals surrounding major advertising executives, specifically a scandal surrounding CEO Gustavo Martinez. Martinez resigned after a female employee filed a lawsuit accusing him of racist and sexist behavior. Um, she said that he repeatedly made inappropriate comments about her body, about employees at their company um about potential clients yada yada um this turned media attention to the attitudes of men in the industry and the experience of women and there a lot of the articles that i found were written immediately following Mm -hmm. um this story and um it really shed a light what was going on a uk article from campaign live discusses how much of the industry how much of the industry loses qualified female talent between education and employment so while there are many women going to school to go into advertising many women quit many women change trajectories before ever taking a job in advertising interesting um karen ellis um who is an ad exec gives the following reasons for this um she said there is an unconscious bias amongst male educators and creative directors that leads them to champion more masculine work um this and so some of the reasons that women may decide not to go into advertising is that there is consistent exclusion of women from social events and networking there's a lack of female role models specifically successful creative directors who are mothers a Mm. lack of confidence in traditional masculine soft skills such as assertiveness drive resilience and self-promotion women do not feel comfortable doing these things um (laughs) for obvious reasons um 
If it's not obvious, then you can go ask. Just go ask any woman. <laughs> Deny and denial amongst young women that gender is a barrier to their success. So a lot of women will refuse to acknowledge the by the inherent biases against them. An article dated December 22nd, 2019, so just a few weeks old, titled Hashtag Me Too Clashes with Bro Culture at Agencies discusses Advertising Week, which is a conference that gathers 10, uh, no, sorry, that gathers 100,000 ad industry employees in New York every year. It happens in September. Um, the empowerment of women, this is a very ironic story. The empowerment of women was a hot topic at this year's Advertising <gasps> Week. Oh, I saw this online. Um, Despite several activities during the conference that solidified its continuous reputation as a boys club. And this article specifically talks about Pitbull performing on the closing night of Advertising Week. Featuring dancers and revealing bodysuits uh, as, as he sang a very sexual song. So Pitbull. all the women there all the women there were like, okay, we just like had this whole week. <laughs> Did we learn nothing? <laughs> Literally. It's like absolutely nuts. This article states that even women at agencies with high-profile diversity campaigns still experience the same sexist treatment as women um, in lower positions at, like, you know, not as high-profile companies. Um, they describe receiving nicknames like The Face. Mm. They are consistently passed over for conference attendance, and most females in advertising get stuck on jewelry and beauty products. <sighs> Probably, like, household cleaning products. Exactly, exactly as their clients. Kate Katalinak, who has worked in advertising for 14 years, says she has seen no change in her 14 years of work. And a lot of the other women interviewed in this article who have, I think the one with the least experience still was, had 10 years of experience in advertising, said the same thing. Jeez. Um, there is a movement known as the 3% Movement, which is an organization working to change the distribution of women in creative direction. Um, they're called the 3% Movement because when they were first founded, only 3% of creative directors in America were women. Um, so far, they've boosted the number to 29%. So now 29% of creative directors in America are women. That's still way... That's not, that's not 50. Yeah. <laughs> it's way less than 50. Um, the 3% Movement gives feedback and evaluates the major advertising companies across the U.S. Um, and they will give them certification when they feel they have achieved something that resembles gender equity. <laughs> Although more than 20 have sought certification, only seven have passed. Jeez. And then there's the issues of the, ad them of the ads themselves. As we know from evolution, it is the male evolutionary purpose to seek out women to make as many offspring as possible. I'm, or seek out females. To make as many offspring as possible. I'm talking about our evolutionary biological <laughs> programming is to be like, let's make as many offspring as possible yeah. so we can guarantee our non-extinction. Okay, so when you are dealing with a company that is a lot of men making a lot of decisions about <laughs> how to get consumers, 85% of whom are women. Yeah. You're gonna run into some sexist <laughs> and problematic behaviors. Okay. Right? Yeah. Because essentially, like, sex drive mm. leads all of that decision making. Okay. Okay. 
um, there's, there's a specific form of advertisement known as gender advertisement. And this refers to images that depict stereotypical gender roles in advertising. Mm. In most advertisements, genders are being established in relation to each other. So almost every ad, the focus is either on women in their relationship to men or men in relation to women. Okay. As opposed to them as standalone beings. Mm-hmm. Even when someone of a different gender is not seen. Okay. Do you understand what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Some scholars have even argued that advertisers are obsessed with gender, which I think is hard to disagree with. Yeah. Um, because most advertisers, they are selling you a product because of your gender. It rarely, they are rarely gearing a product towards you because of something other than gender. That's fair. Right? Yeah. Like, the only example I can think of of something that is advertised not according to gender is, like, pharmaceuticals. (laughs) And, like, allergy commercials. (laughs) Like, not even. You know those pharmaceutical commercials that are, like, six minutes long? (laughs) Scarlett Johansson dancing. The AARP commercials. Like, (laughs) that's, like, it. Risks include death. (laughs) Risks include death. Um, Okay, so Wikipedia says, quote, Advertisers focus on gender relationships because people define themselves by gender and gender can be communicated at a glance, making it easy for advertisers to use this theme in their work. Mm. Now, Wikipedia says this, but I actually think this is like an outdated idea that gender can be communicated at a glance as gender is becoming something that we um, can no longer communicate visually and can no Mm. longer be expressed in a limited number of ways. I mean, I think I kind of get what they're saying. Like, gender performance, kind of? Gender performance, like, yes. Identity, maybe? But I, 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 I agree with what you're saying. Like, it's... Yeah, I think I th- we're breaking down the constructs more yeah, often. I, absolutely. And I think that's going to change things in, ab- in advertising. Or we're because, trying to. Because there are many people who don't identify with either gender. Yeah. And so when you have advertisers, they're focusing towards male identity... Or me- yeah male identifying people or female identifying people and there are many people in that middle ground that it's like those are i think advertisers are going to realize that there's a whole bracket of people that they're completely missing mm-hmm. you know i think it's going to change tactics um body image unsurprisingly plays a particularly important role in advertisement oh because um, you see like someone with a body type that you want and you're like i should get the product that they're selling yes and specifically how women see themselves like i said yeah. before women are 85 percent of consumer purchases okay so every most everything that is trying to be sold to you you are reading that advertisement and it is causing you whether you realize it or not to think about how you think of yourself mm-hmm and well because you're like do i need that exactly do i need that to make myself better the idea of gender advertisement first popped up around the 1920s with toy ads uh toys geared towards young girls would be advertised to set them up for a life of homemaking like little Mm. ironing sets um a little dust and broom pan like these were toys for children while toys for boys emphasize building in the workforce yeah Common depictions of men and masculinity in advertising include alert and conscious of surroundings, standing upright, eyes open and looking around, bodies are controlled, mean expressions or face are like serious expressions, 
um, gripping things tightly with hands. <laughs> like, they're always, like, really, like, holding something. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, have you ever seen a no commercial? Loose hands. Have you ever seen commercials for, like, hardware? Like, yeah. it's always, like, grip that hammer. <laughs> if I had hammer. <laughs> no. Um, I'd grip it in the advertising. I'm so sorry. That's a that's a biblical song. How dare you? Isn't it? I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I'm not doing Sarah. No. 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 I bet like don't bring God into oh. the, into advertising. I don't know if it's biblical, but it's definitely like it might be an old Isn't spiritual. It? I don't know. Do other depictions of men in our hands in pockets. Because women never have them. Oh my gosh. I forgot to tell you the other day. One of my students, who's literally four, came in. And she was wearing a really cute little dress. It was like blue with flowers. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love your dress. And she goes, thanks, it has pockets. And I was like, she's four. And she knows our scripts that women have written for how you respond when someone compliments a dress with pockets. Thanks, it has pockets. <laughs> This is true. This is true. It's, she probably sees her mom, saw her yeah. mom do it. Thanks, it is pockets. Thanks, it is pockets. That's true. Every single woman, if you, there isn't a woman in the world who you can say, I like your dress. And if that dress has pockets, won't respond, thank you, it has pockets. <laughs> <laughs> we all, we all are just in a search of a dress with good pockets. <laughs> and finally, a pants for, with good pockets, but it, dresses with good pockets are. Wow. I can't stand. Diamond in the rough. I can't stand when a man in front of me takes things out of his pockets. Because I'm like, look how much you can fit in there. Oh, my God. Drives me nuts. Anyway. And finally, men are often depicted as physically active. Mm -hmm. Common betrayals of women include touching self, not in the way that you think. But that they're, like, <laughs> caressing their arm. Or, like, you know, like, they have their hand on their heart. Or yeah. Something like that. Caressing an object. <laughs> lying on the floor. Rude. Sitting on a bed or a chair, very, st very not very, not very um, mobile, very stationary. Mm -hmm. Eyes closed, not alert, not paying attention. Shouldn't drive. Should not drive. <laughs> no, but actually, like there, like a lot of advertisements have to do with women being incapable of doing something. Um, confused, vulnerable, which I hate that word. Body like contorted, like they're. Whereas men are standing up straight, women are, like, lounging with a leg up, you know? Yeah. Um, dressed like a child. Ew. Or dressed much, dressed very young. Yeah. Holding an object or a man for support. Um, I cannot stand up. I'm women. <laughs> sexy and sexually available. <laughs> like. I'm single. <laughs> and I'm ready to mingle. <laughs> um, seductive, very playful, and careless. I don't have to worry about anything because this product took care of my life for me. You know. Um, I feel like I have to worry about more because <laughs> I'm a woman. Um, there is this old idea in advertising that sex sells. The earliest mm -hmm. known use of sex in advertising is by the Pearl Tobacco brand in 1871, which featured a naked maiden on the package cover because cigarettes were very mostly smoked by men. Yeah. In a study conducted at the University of Georgia in 2003, researchers looked at sexual advertisements in magazines over the span of 30 years. The rate 
at which sex and advertising had been used increased from 15% to 27% between 1973 and 2003 um, in the advertisements that the researchers looked at. So it did become more popular. Mm-hmm. They believe sex still sells, specifically with low-risk products. Low-risk products are you're more likely to impulse buy. Mm. Like, it doesn't cost me that money. If I don't use it, it's not going to be a big deal. Like, those have the sexiest ads. Like, think about Dove commercials. (laughs) Right? Like, it's just a bar of soap. So that way, like, if I splurge, it's fine. You know? Yeah. Um, The study also mentions alcohol, entertainment, and beauty as the main product categories that use sex in advertising. Mm -hmm. Unsurprising. Since the late 1970s, many researchers have determined that advertisers... um, depict women as having less social power than men which i wonder why (laughs) wow after all this Hmm. a 2010 study um marketing study entitled is advertising a barrier to male movement toward gender change analyzed commercials during programs targeted to different gender audiences researchers found more than 100 advertisements during sports coverage targeted towards men portrayed men as part of a family so 100 portrayed those part of a family but only seven of those 100 portrayed the men with emotions um and connections with the children in their family so even though 100 of them appeared with a family only seven seemed even a little engaged <laughs> which is my favorite <laughs> so, i i really enjoy the snl series of sketches making fun of the like totino's ads <laughs> The, like, Toshino's pizza rolls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, like, the woman in the kitchen who's, like, making all the pizza rolls for, like, the men watching football. And she's just like, what about my life, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Truly. And then I love the one where she, like, meets Kristen Stewart and they fall in love. <laughs> and the, her, like, husband is in the living room like, hey, hon, what's going on? Where are my pizza rolls? <laughs> But actually, um, the same study found that in 200 commercials during programming directed towards women, only two of 200, or one in 100, if we reduce fractions, um, depicted fathers in in a supporting role with children. Oh my goodness. So, advertisers are not doing anything to convince women that their children's fathers should be involved. (laughs) In advertising, it is usually a woman that is depicted as either a servant of men and children um, that, like, reacts to their demands and complaints. So, like, if it's a, like, a lot of laundry advertisements, it's, like, a kid spills something or a man, like, is working really hard and his shirt's dirty, so the woman has to wash it. Women are depicted as a sexual or emotional play toy for the self-affirmation of men. They are often depicted as clueless um, that can only manage childproof operations. So think oh of products that's like, get this for your wife. It'll make her life so much easier. Like, oh like does your wife not know how to vacuum? Get her a Roomba. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I don't mean to name specific products. I've never seen a Roomba commercial, but <laughs> you know what I mean. If women are depicted as experts, it's normally in the fields of fashion, cosmetics, uh, food, or like at the most pharmaceuticals. Mm. but not necessarily doctors most women are also are always ultra thin in advertisements yeah um and importantly doing groundwork for others so like this example given is serving coffee while a journalist interviews a politician Mm. so like background characters in in the men's storyline yeah 
there are four independent components to advertisements that make up gender roles. They are trait descriptors, physical characteristics, role behaviors, and occupational status. Um, and every single one of these has a masculine and a feminine version. So, like, trait descriptors would be, like, men are assertive and women are empathetic. Mm-hmm. Physical characteristics, hair length, body height, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Role behaviors, men are often shown as leaders, heart, like, workers, whatever, and women as um, people who take care of children or, like, take care of others. Um, and occupational status, like... Uh, engineer or a teacher you know Mm -hmm. stereotyping becomes a problem when the stereotypes lead to expectations and judgments that restrict life opportunities for the person who that product is made for Mm -hmm. so if you are a woman and you watch all of these Dove commercial. I like Dove. I don't know why I keep forgetting. <laughs> yeah, I was Dove. like, I feel like their soap's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. No, I like Dove. But if you're, you're a woman and you watch all these hair shampoo commercials, and it's like, great, all these women have these long, luxurious, beautiful hair. And because they have this long, luxurious, beautiful hair, they have men who are wealthy and they live in big houses. You start to think that if your hair is long and luxurious, yeah. you're going to get that too. That's part mm. of the problem. Um, this is a reason why public policy is very concerned with marketing activities. In the UK, it is now illegal to create ads that reinforce gender stereotypes. Oh. Um, ads cannot show men or women failing to achieve a task specifically because of their gender. Oh. Um, like, they can't, they can't show men who can't change diapers and women who can't park cars. They cannot depict stereotypical personality traits like aggression or silly, like, aggression versus, like, little girls who cry, like little girls crying because it's that the girls are more sensitive they cannot suggest that new mothers should prioritize um looks or household chores over emotional health or careers mm. even though it's hard because like gender stereotypes are very ingrained in our society but advertising is doing a a, a big part in keeping it that way which is why it's really important yeah. to like be aware of the ads that you're watching and call them out on it which is why it was important that so many people called out the peloton ad <laughs> for what it was um the industry is accused of being one of the engines powering a convoluted economic mass production system which promotes consumption um that's a direct quote what that means is that like advertising is the reason that we are a consumer world and so like as consumers we should be aware of what we're being forced to consume almost yeah both like both physically and mentally like we're what we're being forced to buy and use but also what we're mentally taking in um as far as social effects are concerned it does not matter whether advertising fuels consumption it shouldn't matter what whether advertising fuels consumption but it what should matter is the patterns of behaviors and assignments that it propagates mm-hmm Advertisements like this encourage unrealistic body images, subvert individuals' perception of self, and promote exclusion within our society. Um, so, I don't know if we can go to our lawmakers about advertisers, but <laughs> I kind of want to now. It's just something like we should be aware of, I feel like. And yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's, it affects our culture and our day-to-day life. It does. You're absolutely right. That... Is the tea on advertising. Okay. 
Okay. Are you angry? No. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yes. Not at you. I thought you meant at you. <laughs> Not you at you. At me? <laughs> no. At the patriarchy. Yeah. Uh, the patriarchy sucks. I just was like shocked because so many people, I get, I've not watched Mad Men, but so many articles I read were like, it really is just like Mad Men. And clearly that's not a good thing. Yeah. So there was that. Alrighty. <sighs> Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com, where we post fun things. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us directly on Anchor through the link in the bio of this episode. Or at least you could consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It is very, very helpful. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com. Jane, mm-hmm. you know what I've been wondering? What are you wondering? So this next episode that this topic will be for comes out just before the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I've been wondering a little bit about the development of American football. Oh. Interesting. I know a little bit. I know a lot more about, like, how baseball came to be. Mm-hmm. But, like, if there was already a football, how did we get ours? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, did we just, like, forget what football was on the boat ride over, and then we got here, and we were like, wasn't there a sport called football? Yeah, there was. How do you play? I don't remember. Let's make up a new one. Yeah. We all just lost our memory, and we made a whole new game, and we were like, whoops, we named it the same thing. Ooh. It's like, it's not play with your feet. Anyway, I, I want to know more about that. <laughs> I want to know about the history of football for the Super Bowl. Okay. <laughs> okay. The history of football. I can. I can. I, I can. I can learn about sports. You could do it. Sp- sports. Am I saying that right? Um, okay. Um. Sports. You heard of it? Sarah. Yeah. Do you know what I've been wondering? What? What's the deal with Groundhog Day? Why did the- oh, Puxatani Phil. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't grow like up. Like, you know him. <laughs> Growing up in Pennsylvania, I feel like I know him. <laughs> Even though he was clear across the state from me. Um, like, do people really believe he can predict weather? Like, has he ever been like, no, nah, there's not going to be six more weeks of winter. And then everyone was like, cool. And then winter stopped in the beginning of February. That's true. At one point, it had to be real for him for us to listen to him because oh. i was like of course winter's gonna go on until like at least march <laughs> like, <laughs> like we're relying on a grand dog seeing his shadow it is a weird holiday i'll look yeah sure i'll get into that I <gasps> what like if we just blindfold him and he can't see his shadow <laughs> then winter will end although then isn't everything to him shadow you're right. This is too complicated. We're getting it's getting late at night. I I'm love, getting loopy. But yeah, talk to me about Groundhog Day. I love weird Pennsylvania lore. You didn't grow up in Pennsylvania, but on television there would be these ads for the Pennsylvania lottery. And this groundhog was the 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 like mascot for the Pennsylvania lottery was a different groundhog. <laughs> he was named Hot. He was like, "Hi, I'm What was his name? 
I don't remember his name, but his whole thing, he was like the second most famous groundhog in Pennsylvania. <laughs> and I tried making that reference once at Muhlenberg with people who weren't from Pennsylvania, and they were like, what? And I was like, get out of my state. <laughs> Listen. He was like, his name was like Andy or something. Hi, I'm Andy, the second most famous <laughs> groundhog in Pennsylvania. Of course. <laughs> it was so funny. It was so hilarious. It was the Pennsylvania lottery guy. Okay. All right. All right. Well, all it's a February second themed day. You okay? Great. Or themed episode. Two two. It's not <gasps> a day. February second. The date is going to be two 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 zero two zero. It is. <laughs> you are unimpressed. It's a leap year. It is. <laughs> you are unimpressed. I'm just not impressed. It's not like that's a pattern of numbers. It's just a lot of twos. Isn't that cool? No. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, good night. All right. Okay, good night, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering. <laughs>